you would, take out your Bibles with me, and let's turn again to the book of Romans, in chapter 10, and we are continuing to open up together one of the central truths, if not perhaps the central truth of the Christian faith, the truth that Jesus is Lord. And we're taking our cue from Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we've already seen together the fact of Christ's Lordship. You and I don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. God the Father raised him from the dead and then exalted him as the God-man to the throne of the universe. Jesus Christ came to earth, fulfilled all righteousness, perfectly obeyed his Father on our behalf, even to the point of burying our sins, giving up his life. And in response to that ultimate act of obedience, God the Father raised Christ and rewarded Christ and crowned Christ as King of kings and as Lord of lords. And that is who He is and that is the office He holds right now and for all eternity. We've already seen the nature of Christ's Lordship. He is an absolute Lord There is no higher throne than the throne of Christ. Christ's authority is the ultimate power in the universe. Christ's lordship is a comprehensive lordship. Christ's rule extends to microscopic atoms and microorganisms, but also to galaxies and solar systems. Christ exercises sovereign sway over flowers and spiders and penguins and rhinoceroses. I, lo- I don't know why I always do rhinoceroses. I, 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 think, I remember doing a report in like fourth grade on, on rhinoceroses. I've always liked rhinoceroses. So they always find their way in there. But you choose the animal. You put your favorite animal in there, right? Christ is sovereign over that animal. Christ's lordship is a human lordship. Christ reigns over all things, not just as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He's always reigned over all things that way. But because of His resurrection, because of His ascension, God has given lordship to Jesus as a true human being, as as a son of Adam. So that when we praise Jesus as the King of kings, we also recognize that He is a King who can relate to us. He can sympathize with us. He is a a king who has walked in the shoes of his subjects. And Christ's lordship is an earned lordship. The throne was not given to Jesus as an act of God's grace. The throne was given to Jesus joyfully by the Father because the Son came to earth and earned it. He merited it through personal, perfect, radical obedience. Christ is worthy of the throne on which He sets. You and I will never be worthy of heaven. Christ is worthy of the throne on which He sets. He is the only man who's ever existed to prove Himself worthy. And Christ's Lordship is a spiritual Lordship. 
It is from his throne that Christ sends forth the Holy Spirit to accomplish his, his purposes, which are the same as the purposes of the Father. It's the Holy Spirit at the command of Christ who brings sinners to salvation, opens blind eyes, raises spiritually dead people to life. The Holy Spirit brings revival where Christ grants it, hardens hearts where Christ decrees it, ultimately works to bring people into the great kingdom that will exist long after this age has passed away and the day of judgment has come and gone. And so we've covered a lot already about what it means that Jesus is Lord. But there are still some really important things that need to be said. Because when we are confessing Jesus as Lord, we are not just confessing His station. We're not just confessing the office that He holds. We are also confessing something about His character. When we declare Jesus as Lord, we do it joyfully. Why? Because He is the ideal Lord. <laughs> he is the best Lord he is what every other Lord should strive to be. We Americans are great at complaining about our political leaders. And I do it too. Right? We like to complain about our political leaders. We should probably do less complaining and more praying. Right? Honestly, if we spend as much time praying for our leaders as we do complaining about our leaders, we might would have a different kind of leadership but as bad as our leaders seem to be and, and often are we have to acknowledge that actually if you look back through the pages of human history it's chock full of bad leaders <laughs> people have always seems like been ruled by leaders who were certainly not godly and there were many leaders who were terrible lords terrible lords one example from the days of christ is herod the great this is the man who was lord over Palestine when Jesus was born. Uh, he ruled under the permission of the Roman emperor. And he was called Herod the Great because of the things that he did. The cities he built, uh, his complete overhaul of the temple in Jerusalem, the mountain fortresses that he built like Masada, uh, his aqueduct system that he built. But character-wise... Herod the Great was not great. He was not a great man. As one writer says, Herod was prepared to commit any crime in order to gratify his unbounded ambition. He was paranoid. He was utterly obsessed with ensuring that his people would love him. When a young man named Aristobulus became very powerful and popular with the people... Herod did everything he could to keep this teenage boy from coming to power. Uh, this young man became so popular so quickly that even Cleopatra and Mark Antony were part of the Aristobulus fan club. They all wanted to see this young man brought to power. Herod the Great, eventually giving in to public pressure, made the young man high priest in Jerusalem. By the way, you see how corrupt this is that at this point didn't matter who your parents were, didn't matter what the Old Testament said, it was just money and power that chose who was the high priest in Jerusalem. This teenage boy was made the high priest at the temple in Jerusalem. 
But Herod was so jealous that the people liked him. So what did he do? He pretended to befriend him. He invited him to his palace in Jericho. And while he was bathing in a pool, Herod had some of his henchmen hold Aristobulus under the water until he drowned. And then they declared it was an accident. This was how Herod the Great handled everybody that he thought might threaten his power. He was madly in love with his wife. We're talking Romeo and Juliet type, madly in love with his wife. But when he began to get paranoid that she might threaten him, he had her killed. And this turned him into even more of a madman. He would, we're told that he would yell for her around the palace, that he would t- say to his servants, bring me my wife, long after he had had her killed. Herod had a harem of 500 women that he used for his own pleasure, but they weren't enough. Alongside them, he abused the eunuchs and the pages of his court. Meanwhile, he shirked his duties as a father. He treated his own children terribly. His first three sons, all expected to take power when he died, he had each of them executed. And when men arrived from the east, claiming that a baby had been born who would be the king of the Jews, Herod had all the babies in Bethlehem, two years old and under, slaughtered. When he was in terrible pain due to a kidney disease, and he knew that he was near his death, Herod had the most important leaders from every village in Judea gathered together and assembled in the Hippodrome in Jericho. Hippodrome is a horse racing track, a a chariot racing track. He, He had his guards gather all the important people in Judea and put them in the Hippodrome. And he gave orders that at the moment that he died, all of the important men in Judea were to be killed. Why? Because he said, I know the people won't grieve over me, and if they won't grieve over me, I'll make them grieve. Those were his dying desires. Thankfully, when he died, the order was not carried out. Now, here's the amazing thing. When you look at Herod the Great, just choosing one of the Herods, and none of them were great, choose just one of them and look at their life story, you see what a terrible Lord he was, and yet he doesn't even crack the top 100 in the pages of history of most wicked rulers. His doings were fairly par for the course when you compare him to the other rulers of his day. Several of the Roman emperors make Herod look like an upright guy, frankly, and then put him alongside many of the villains of the 20th century. Herod was never even capable of hurting as many people as did Stalin, Mussolini, Hitler, these kinds of leaders. The fact is, millions of people in human history have known what it is to cry out under the unjust rule of a wicked and abusive Lord. And so what are we saying when we say that Jesus is Lord? We are saying He is the Lord of all lords, And Jesus is what every other Lord has failed to be. Jesus is Lord par excellence. Jesus is the perfect Lord, the true Lord of which every other ruler, king, authority in the world has always been but a shadow. 
Jesus is the kind of Lord that millions have longed for and prayed for when under the tyranny of much lesser kings. What kind of Lord is Jesus? Three points. We could point to passages from all over the Bible. You know these are true. First, Jesus Christ is a good Lord. Aren't you glad? Can you imagine him being given all authority in heaven and on earth and being wicked? He is virtuous. Jesus Christ is moral. Jesus Christ has integrity. Don't we long for that in our leadership today? Jesus Christ is a Lord with integrity. Don't we long to be ruled by good people? Jesus is a truly good man. For the rest of us, absolute power corrupts absolutely, but not Jesus. He has absolute power, and He remains absolutely pure and noble and godly and good. Think about how easily the rest of us give in to temptation. We, we fight temptation for a while. I hope you do. I hope you, you put up your, your dukes and you fight temptation when it comes. But if it lasts long enough, if it's strong enough, eventually it, it overcomes us. We give in to the sin. Not Jesus. Even before He was crowned King of Kings. As he walked on this earth, he endured temptations from the devil that would have overtaken every one of us in this room. And he never gave in. And he, he clung to his integrity. And he remained pure. When Jesus was abused, he didn't take revenge. When he was spoken ill of by other leaders in his day, he didn't talk back to them. Jesus Christ was never once unrighteously angry whether he was relating to Pharisees and lawyers or prostitutes and tax collectors, whether he was talking to people full of pride or people with with broken hearts, Jesus always remained good, never a hypocrite. You, You would never pin Jesus down and say, Jesus, you know, we have a record of you saying two weeks ago this, and now it seems like you've changed your position. Not Jesus, right? He never altered who he was to please others. He didn't talk one way in front of one group of people and the opposite in front of another to win their affection or approval. Though he's the very son of God, he obeyed his teenage parents. He submitted to those in authority over him. And this is the kind of man who now sits on the throne of the universe. Friends, Jesus Christ is a good Lord. So what, you say? What what does that mean for us? Well, one of the implications of that is this. His every command is given for our good. Every command that comes from the throne of our Lord Jesus Christ is a good command spoken to us out of love. We need to remember this. Our flesh is so quick to take issue with the commands of Christ. We so quickly want to explain away or excuse away Jesus' commands. Turn the other cheek. Give to those in need around you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Never take revenge. 
Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Forgive those who hurt you. Get rid of whatever is causing you to sin. Pray to God and give to God, but not in an ostentatious way. Store up treasures in heaven. Do not worry. Do not judge. Do not exalt yourself, but humble yourself. Be baptized in the name of the the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Him. Make disciples of all nations. Be ready for His return. Jesus has given us command after command after command, but they are not meant to do us harm. They are not meant to be a burden. They are given to us by a good Lord who loves His people and knows what is best for us. And we are fools to ignore His commands. We are fools when we disobey the Lord Jesus Christ. As I've said a hundred times, He's smarter than we are, He's wiser than we are, and He loves us more than we love ourselves. And that's saying something. And therefore, when Christ gives us a command, we ought to run with it. Not buck against it. And yet, when you tell that Christian 20-year-old that she's not to marry that young man that she's smitten with because he's not a believer, how quick she might be to explain away why her case is the exception. Or when you talk to those who call themselves Christians but are not committed to a local church, and you show them that almost all of the commands in the New Testament letters can only be fulfilled in the life of a local church. So often these folks find a million reasons why, but that can't be true in my situation. Yes, I know that Christ gives this command, but, right? But, as if the Jesus who gave us this word didn't really know about me and my situation. And if Jesus knew about my situation, he would have added a qualifier to that command, right? Always forgive, except for John Smith in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, when this particular situation... No, in that case, it's different. Start talking about money. Start talking about the importance of rearranging your life around God's priorities. And suddenly the proof is in the pudding. Do we really confess Jesus as Lord? And do we really believe that He is good and that He knows what He's talking about? As the Apostle John so clearly teaches, it is not the person who claims to be a follower of Christ who is a Christian. It is the person who shows his faith through works, through obedience, that is the true believer. I simply ask you, Mount Hermon, when you confess Jesus as Lord, do you confess Him to be a good Lord, a trustworthy Lord, a Lord worthy of your obedience? And if that is what you're confessing, do you confess that and then go out and live in disobedience? In what area of your life do you need to make changes so that every part of you is in obedience to Christ? What have you been resisting the Lord Jesus Christ on in your life? And I don't know. You know. You have to think about this. 
Is it that first act of obedience? Is it baptism? Are you resisting the Lord Jesus Christ when it comes to His commands about forgiving others or not taking revenge or praying for your enemies? Do you need to obey the Lord Jesus Christ in giving financially the way you know you ought to be? Do you need to obey the Lord Jesus Christ in giving the time to prayer and the reading of His Word that you know you've been shirking? Jesus Christ is the ideal Lord, the best Lord, the fairest of 10,000 lords. He is good. Every command is for your good. Don't buck against His commands. Number two, Christ is a just Lord. A just Lord. I don't have to tell you that in our political system today, even with the genius of our judicial system, and the genius of the checks and the balances of our three branches of government, injustice still often shows up, even here in America. How often do the wicked get away with their wickedness? How many abusers keep on abusing? How many cheaters keep on cheating? And how often does it seem that the righteous suffer while the wicked celebrate in fact sometimes it even feels like there are two standards of justice that maybe there's one standard of justice for the rich and the well connected and there's one standard of justice for the rest of us and we feel that way while living in what is likely one of the most just societies this world has ever known in other words when you look back at history at the pages of human justice, America is about as good as it gets. And yet there's still lots of injustice in our land. Hopefully you read the book To Kill a Mockingbird when you were in high school. And there's this painful moment towards the end of the book when it's obviously clear that this black man accused of this crime is not guilty. He, he didn't commit the crime. He's innocent. But because he is a black man, dares to say in that courtroom that he pities a white woman that is found to be so offensive that he is found guilty and he is ultimately killed. That's just a picture of the kind of injustice that our society knew during the Jim Crow era here in the States. And frankly, it's a kind of injustice that right now is escalating against Christians. So that you might lose your job or be threatened with fines or even jail time if you don't jump on board the new morality of our nation. This fallen world has always been plagued by injustice. But Jesus Christ is a just king. And there is no wrong that goes unseen by His watchful eye. And there is no act of courage or kindness, no act of self-sacrifice, however it may be hidden to others, that is not noticed by Jesus Christ. Often in this life, people reap what they sow, but not always. But on the last day, 
all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and He will give to each what he or she is due fairly. And all will be made right, and the scales of justice will be upheld. Solomon was a wise king. Solomon was able to bring justice to difficult situations. Solomon was a shadow of the true Solomon, Jesus Christ. And when all people stand as eyewitnesses as well as participants on the day of judgment, when all is said and done, all will have to praise Christ for His fairness, His impartiality, His upholding of what is good and what is virtuous and what is right. The martyrs in Revelation cry out, the blood of millions and millions of unborn babies murdered in the womb cry out, Women and children abused in secret. Entire ethnic groups wiped out by genocidal armies. A thousand horrors that have not been made known or recorded in human history, but have been seen by the eyes of Christ. Everyone will be avenged. Everyone will be made right on the day of judgment. And every praying saint who kept praying and didn't give up, and every person like the widow who gave all she had, though it was only a mite, and every person who ever truly humbled himself and put others first, they will be rewarded on that day. The scales of justice will be brought to full balance by the Lord Jesus Christ. All evil will be punished All goodness will be rewarded and Jesus will be seen to be the truest, fairest judge that has ever existed. And all others were lesser shadows pointing to him. You with me? Number three. Jesus Christ is a merciful Lord. He is good, and we want a good king. He is a good Lord. He is just. We want a just Lord, but we also need a merciful Lord, and He is a merciful Lord. Such is the compassion of Jesus Christ that He was willing to fulfill the demands of justice and actually bear the punishment in the place of any who would trust Him and follow Him. It's absolutely amazing There's never been a king like this in the history of the world. What king, when his entire citizenry has rebelled against him, holds out an offer of forgiveness and mercy? And what king but Jesus actually gives his life in order to save those who were his enemies? Who were those who were rebelling against him? There has never been a Lord who loves like this Lord. No king has gone further. No king has sacrificed more. No king has borne more suffering or paid a higher price than this king for the sake of his people. Those who continue to rebel against him will ultimately meet his judgment. But those who are willing to humble themselves and turn from their rebellion those who are willing to finally just bend the knee and say, Christ, you are Lord. He is willing and able to save them 
and to pardon all of their rebellion and to put them in good standing with him. Think of how Christ cares for us who have turned to him. He hears us. Imagine trying to get an audience with President Obama today. Imagine even trying to get a few minutes with Governor McCrory, who's been very busy the last couple of weeks. Right? Even if you could somehow manage it, there would be so many steps to take, there would be so many obstacles to overcome, and then you would only have the governor's ear for maybe just a few moments. But Jesus Christ has such mercy on his people that he opens up his throne room to them 24-7 and says, come at any time. And I'm not just inviting you, I'm telling you, come. Let me hear what's on your heart. Let me hear what's on your mind. I think I've quoted this hymn more in my sermons than any other hymn. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden? Is that you this morning? You feeling a little burdened? Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. That will find a solace there. Here is a king, here is a Lord who hears his people. But not only that, he leads his people. Now, other lords have ideas and plans and policies for the direction in which they want their kingdoms to go. But Jesus has actually given his people the very word of God to be able to guide them in the way of truth, in the way of godliness. More than that, and this is really amazing, Christ himself came to this earth and modeled a life of holiness for us. Here is a king who leads by example. More than that, King Jesus has raised up Bible translators. King Jesus has raised up missionaries and pastors and teach us, teachers to help us know and understand the way in which we should go that will lead to our greatest happiness. By His Spirit, Jesus actually compels our hearts and our minds towards faith and obedience, and He leads us safely to heaven. He truly is the good shepherd. He is a shepherd king. This is a king who hears his people. This is a king who leads his people. This is a king who provides for his people. We could talk all day about how our Lord provides for us. He who holds all nature in his hands is the one who gives us our daily bread or your daily pizza or your daily whatever it is for you right but he gives it to you he provides it it is christ who gives you the clothes on your back it is christ who gives you the the shelter over your head it is your lord most high who providentially brings you opportunities to serve him opportunities to serve others so that we find fulfillment in this life as we spend ourselves in worthy callings it is jesus who has provided for his people salvation from hell And also God's word for our spiritual growth. 
and the Spirit for, their, for our God and local churches for the care of our souls. Through Christ's church, Jesus has provided parents for orphans, companionship for the lonely, a family more wonderful and more lasting than even our earthly families. On and on we could go about how this Lord provides for us. This King also protects His people. By interceding for us before the Father, He brings us fresh grace every moment of the day. Apart from Jesus Christ, we would fall right back into spiritual deadness. But this is a king who actually keeps his people faithful. He protects us from falling back into unbelief. Through his blood, Christ has protected us from the flames of hell. Through his providential care, through angels unseen and supernatural activity that goes unnoticed, Christ keeps his people safe from untold dangers, untold tragedies. How many times have you been in a traffic situation and you thought if it had been one more second that way or one more second this way, things would have turned out very different? Your king is protecting you. And he will not allow any tragedy or trial or injury or accident or incident to happen in your life that he has not decreed to be for your ultimate good. Christ protects us spiritually through godly teaching and church discipline and brothers and sisters who love us enough to be blunt with us. And he will keep his people safe until he stands with them on golden streets. Now, Herman, do you see what kind of Lord we have when we confess Jesus, his Lord? Do you see the character of his lordship? How he is the fulfillment of what every other authority has failed to be and could never be. There is a word here to political leaders. Whether someone's serving at the federal level, the state level, the local level, Jesus is the standard of lordship for which all of our political leaders should strive. Christ's leadership is a servant leadership. And isn't that what we say in America our political leaders are to be? Civil servants? Whether someone, sorry, the the integrity of Christ, His justice, His mercy, His sacrificial nature, His love for the people that He's over, all of these traits ought to characterize every leader. There's a word here for leaders in Christ's church. Pastors are under shepherds. Pastors serve on behalf of the good shepherd. Deacons are those who assist the pastors and ultimately are assisting the work of King Jesus. Pastors and deacons have a responsibility to wield their authority well. Pastors and deacons have a responsibility to make sure that their priorities are being shaped by Christ. That we are setting the example of integrity and commitment to God's people, that we, as an expression of Christ, are willing, to, are willing to sacrifice and to deny ourselves in order that God's people will be best loved and provided for and protected. There's a word here to husbands, and there's a word here to fathers. I remember Peter tells us that Sarah called Abraham Lord Men, like it or not, God has established you as the Lord of your family. 
This word refers to someone with authority. God has given men the authority over their wife and children for this purpose, that you as men would use your authority to help your wife and children flourish and grow in holiness and in happiness. So let me say, church leaders, let me say, fathers, let me say to anyone in this room who has any kind of authority over anyone else, are you good? Are you marked by integrity and trustworthiness and honesty? Are you just? Are you fair with those under your care? Do you uphold principle for those under your authority? Are you merciful? Do you love those under your care? Are you compassionate towards them? Do you listen to them and hear their concerns? Do you rejoice with them and weep with them? Do you show them grace as often as you can? Whatever leadership responsibilities Christ has given you, are you leading faithfully or have you abdicated your authority? Are you failing to lead in the way that Christ has called you to lead? And if you are leading, are you leading in a godly direction? Are you providing for those under your care? Are you protecting those under your care? You see, Christ is the best Lord, but He's also the example of what all of us who have any authority ought to look to. Frankly, I think every one of us in this room ought to have some reasons to repent this morning. And frankly, I think every one of us in this room ought to have some reasons to resolve that by the grace of God we will strive to do better in the way we care for others and lead them. As we repent, as we resolve, let us look to and trust the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, who is our good, just, and merciful Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.